Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Only thing unplugged is Forgotten Seasons. Welcome everybody to Forgotten Seasons. Man, first I just got to say a big thank you to everybody listening and following along with the page It was an amazing week last week bringing this thing off the ground and really just reflecting on the Forgotten Seasons journey to create this page a little under two years ago and now have the chance to chop it up with NBA legends each week is still surreal. Um, We're just starting out here. I'm excited to watch the evolution of it all, but none of this would be possible without your support since day one. So really just want to say thank you to everybody for following along. Today, we have a first for the show. We're going to be reliving a championship season, 2003 Spurs with Steven Jackson. I know what some of you are thinking. I can already see the comments. How can a team be forgotten if they won the championship? Well, I think this specific team has been. So if you think that way, then too bad. The Spurs were good for so long with Duncan, Parker, and Manu that I think the details of individual seasons have been forgotten. This season specifically, 0203, we got a rookie Manu tearing up the league from the jump. We got final year of David Robinson and Steve Kerr playing big roles with the team. Um, we have, of course, the greatness of Tim Duncan, the leadership of Greg Popovich, and we also have the importance of their starting swingman and today's guest, Steven Jackson. Uh, in the years leading up to 03, Stack was struggling to, to even get a shot in the league. He got cut by several teams. He played overseas in Venezuela, the Dominican Republic, China, got spotty minutes in New Jersey. And then finally, he gets a chance with the Spurs. We've heard a lot about guys today like P.J. Tucker and Pat Beverly. They're odysseys before they were in the league, but Stax isn't much different. So I'm excited to relive this season through his eyes. Um, Enough of me. Let's get into it with Stack. Remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast. Those ratings are super important, so we appreciate that. Check out the amazing catalog of shows Showtime Basketball has to offer. All the smoke, KG certified, what's burning. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's get into it. Forgotten Seasons with Steven Jackson on the 2003 Spurs begins right now. Captain Jack, Stack, how you doing today, man? What's up, my man? Happy to be here. What's going on? Can't complain. Grateful to be talking to you. We're going to be diving deep into one season as always. Today's going to be the 2003 Spurs. Before we get into 2003, I want to start when you are at Butler County Community College in 1997. Mm. That was that came after you committed to Arizona. Things didn't work out there. You started to pave your own path. 
as quickly as you can, because I know that there's a bunch of stops, a bunch of memorable stories, but how did you end up from Butler County Community College and then a few years later in the NBA on the Nets? Uh, well, Butler happened when I was supposed to go to Arizona. I went, I, I signed with the University of Arizona coming out of high school with Mike Bibby and Eugene Eggerson. We had the number one recruiting class in the country. And um, I couldn't pass my test. The first semester I stayed on campus, took the test and couldn't pass the test. And um, I ended up going to um, back to Phoenix to live with Mike's mom because I didn't want to go back home and end up, you know, doing the same things that always got me caught up before I, uh, I, I made to Oak Hill. And um, I ended up staying with her and she brought me to the Suns facility one day. And I had no day I was going up there to play a workout. And she brought me up there and I ended up playing with the team and ended up playing real well. They had one pick in the draft at the 42. Yeah, 42nd pick and they, and they said they were going to draft me. Right. So, um, well, excuse me, after Arizona, I went to Butler because I wanted to play. And, um, by the time I get there, the season had already started. So I was only there for like two, three weeks because it's, I couldn't play. So I stayed there went to school, went to a couple games and left because it, I couldn't play that season and I didn't want to be in college anyway. So I ended up going overseas, man. I went to Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Cholet, France, Australia, uh, Guangzhou, China. Uh, I went to a whole bunch of places, man. And, um, you know, I seen, I seen a lot of stuff that, that kept me grateful of the, of the things I have and, and the position I'm in. Uh, Cause a lot of those places, they don't have much and, and you get to see you know, how grateful you are. And I think that was a blessing for me because even with breaking both of my feet doing that journey, you know, I got down, but I didn't get too down because the places I was at, it showed me how blessed I was and, and, it, and it kept me motivated to get back home and to make a better life for my family. And um, playing, a, playing a, uh, some small cities, man, some weird places, but all that drove me back to 2000, 2001, uh, where I get a shot in New Jersey, um, I wouldn't have got that shot without stuff on Marbury and Kenyon Martin. And uh, Byron Scott totally counted me out before I got there, when I got there. And I was able to play well and make the team. And that started my journey in the NBA with, with New Jersey, even though I made the rookie all-star team. After the rookie all-star game, I didn't play no more the rest of that season. He didn't play me no more. So, but that turned into the blessing. When I wasn't playing, it alerted all the coaches in the league. Like, okay, they don't want to play this young kid. He has a lot of talent. He's a winner everywhere he's been. Uh, I remember vividly talking about the Spurs. We were playing the Spurs, and Byron Scott wasn't playing me. I was at the end of the bench, and it was a halftime. Mike Brown was the assistant coach for the Spurs at the time. He walked over there. He was like, what's going on, young fellas? I'm like, how you doing, coach? I really know he was. Coach Brown, how you doing, da, da, da. He was like, keep your head. We come and get you. I'm like, huh? Like, I didn't know a coach could say that, you know? <laughs> keep your head. We come and get you, right? And um, towards the end of the season, um, I had seen him a couple more times and, I, and Pop had told my agent that they wanted me to come play Summer League and prove myself again. Ended up playing Summer League with the Spurs, second in scoring, I think, behind Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, have a great campaign and um, end up signing with the Spurs. Now, when I get there, I had no idea what a professional organization looks like. I was going to ask you that, like, what is the first sit down with pop like and what is the message in there? Because I know it's I know there's there's 
it's not just come and play. It's come and play, act like this and play like this. Well, what is what is that exactly? Well, I remember vividly first right after the last pre uh, summer league game, he told me like, "Look, I want you on my team. You basically made the team, but you can't smoke weed. I, I, that's what it, that's the word is around. You like to smoke cannabis." And I told him, "I pop. You didn't want to hear nothing about it." Went right back to the room and smoked every day. Said, "You know, I, I had to tell him that to get a job. Don't. I mean, I think anybody would have." But uh, right. Pop, they do their homework. They know who you are before they bring you in the organization. And going there, you know, like I said, I played one year in the league. I learned how to be a professional there. You know, everybody there prepares for work, prepares uh, for games, uh, take care of their bodies all year round, uh, do their homework for the teams we're playing. You know, uh, uh, the studying and all that and the preparation was top notch there. And I learned how to be a man. I learned how to be a professional. Basketball was always a game to me, but now it's a profession, right? And I learned that in San Antonio. I learned I learned how to be a professional from all the veterans I had: Steve Smith, Steve Kerr, Kevin Willis, Danny Ferry, uh, David Robinson. You know, I, I had Tim Duncan. I had a lot of really solid vets that uh, has been in this league. That been in the league a long time at that point. And all of them, matter of fact, Steve, Danny, Kevin Willis, and Steve Kerr all retired, I think, after that championship. I think they all retired after that, right? So they were all at the end of their they career. Were, yeah. So the game and the wisdom I got from them, I couldn't have got from nowhere else or any other players that early in my season. And I think that helped me out a lot. I picture you sort of going there, like going to military school almost. Like, obviously, Pop's an Army guy. David Robinson's the Admiral. Can you remember, like, the first practice, like, when you go there um, and just, like, how that goes down? Yeah, um, the good thing about it is you had all different personalities, different, a whole bunch of different personalities, but they all were people you can get great advice from. You know, I went to church with Dave. I went to church with Dave and his family. Um, Steve Steve Smith took me in like a son, uh, fed me. I went to his house to eat, watch movies one time with his family. Malik Rose treated me like a brother. Tim Duncan treated me like a brother. I played paintball with him. I, you know, I played cards with those guys. I hung out with those guys. So I got a little... A little bit of everything. And um, I wasn't the only young player. You know, you had me, you had Tony Parker, and you had um, Ginobili. Gino. Yeah, so so it, 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 it was a great mix of young guys and older veterans. And I think that's why we were able to win the championship. Yeah, so you guys win 60 games. You're the one seed in the West, uh, a West that was loaded like, like no other. Uh, I want to do a quick roster breakdown. You mentioned a lot of the guys already, but yourself, Timmy, Tony Parker, Bruce Bowen, David Robinson. Uh, you've described Timmy as almost like a big brother to you. Um, you. You tragically lost your brother early in your life. And and you've said before that getting to San Antonio and meeting Timmy was like gaining another big brother. Um, we know about Timmy's greatness. Uh, we know about his sort of humble being. Uh, but what's something that the everyday fan might not know about Tim Duncan and, you know, how, how important he was to you at that stage in your life? Tim was an action junk. Tim was an action junk. He likes shooting guns, he likes playing paintball, he likes fast cars. Um, he, he trained UFC, you know, to UFC fight. Like he he does a lot of those things that action junkies do. You know, he's definitely an action junkie. And you wouldn't know, you wouldn't, you couldn't see that side of him on the court because he's, he's an even kill. He's always focused, always locked in. And if KG can't get you out your game, nobody can. And, and he's one of those guys that just stay locked in. And I, I think that's something he has that you can't teach. And, and, and he embraced me the first day. I even a, a perfect example of him embracing me. We were in Seattle 
uh, we was getting off to a great start and I was playing great off the bench. And uh, him and Pop called me talking about meet us in Pop's room. Nine out of 10 times when coach calling me to his room, he must have, I'm, I'm automatically thinking he smelled the weed coming in my room or something, you know what I mean? Um, when I get there, him and Tim like, you know, we've been playing well, we're gonna start you tonight. But I wouldn't have been in that position if early practices, when I get to practice, Tim has embraced me, come on my team, come shoot with me, come, you know, Tim was bringing me along and everything he did, the drills, the, you know, and when I got him a starting team, he made sure he looked for me, right? Double teams, the one of the best passes on double teams, and he knew I was clutch. So anytime he get a double team or anytime he can give me a shot or get me involved, he always did it. And uh, I always appreciate that because that's the probably the best power forward to ever play the game. And he had ultimate confidence in me in the big games and the crunch minutes. And, uh, you know, that's that before you you've proven yourself. Before I proved myself, exactly. So that says a lot, you know, uh, coming from a guy like Tim Duncan. So next, Manu Ginobili, this is his rookie year. I, I've been like breaking down the film from this team and just watching your playoff games. And as a rookie, the, the stuff that he was doing, sham gods in the playoffs, mm-hmm. he was throwing, you know, cross court bullet, no look passes. Um, I just don't think that it can be emphasized enough how special that is to come in as a rookie, especially in Greg Popovich's system and do that. We've heard stories about how Pop and Manu at the beginning really clash because Manu does not play like your prototypical Spurs player. He's careless at times, but it's what, what makes him great. After the finals in the press conference, you said that if you could pick one player to play, one backcourt player to play with the rest of your life, it would be Manu Ginobili. Now, you played for over 10 years after that, but does that still hold true uh, after yeah, your career no, looking no question, back on it? No question. Um, I think we didn't, me and him didn't get the respect we deserved for what we did that year. If you look at the Western Conference Finals, <clears throat> I carried that team game six. I was a leading scorer game six, right? You and, and Steve Kerr. Yeah, and uh, and the reason why Manu, Manu said something to me when we were sitting in the back and there were everybody was interviewing Steve Kerr and everybody else, he walked, he came to me, he was like, bro, you deserve the MVP because you carried, you know what I'm saying? Because I, you know, I, we was young guys and we really didn't get props. It's perfect, perfect example. Steve Kerr came in the game and hit four threes and hadn't played all game. I was doing that all game. <laughs> I was doing the same thing he was doing <laughs> all game, but they praised him after the game. And for, for Ginobili to come to me, and be like, bro, don't worry about that. You know, you, you know, I know what you've done. You know what you've done. You know what I'm saying? That meant a lot to me. But our passion for the game, I think one thing Pop had to had to just really let go with um Ginobili is the he's he's an erratic player. So you got to take the good with the bad. And that's really with both of us because anything we do on the court, it comes to competing, you know, it's, 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 it comes out of trying to be the best we can be and playing hard. And if you make the mistakes playing hard, Pop Pop can forgive that all day. And that's one thing he liked about Gino. You know, Gino might have made a crazy pass. He might have did something crazy. But he's going to do that same pass and it's going to get us a bucket. He's going to make that same move, you know, at crunch time and get us a layup. So you got to take the good with the bad with Gino. And I think Pop understood that about both of us. He was a trendsetter too, though. Gino was a trendsetter. Like, he started the Euro no stuff. Doubt. All that stuff. He started all that stuff, man. And, like, I think Pop seen that in the world games. You know, he, he was a guy that took chances, took risks, but he was a leader of that team. He was the best player on that team. So Pop didn't want to change his game when he came here. Uh, Pop just let him be him. 
Yeah, I mean, he did so much for the game, international basketball as well. You look at all the Argentinian players, Pazzo, Nocioni. I don't know if that happens without Ginobili. Right. Um, going, going into the regular season, you mentioned you were coming off the bench at first. First 24 games, you guys are 14 and 10, you know, not up to the standards of, you know, the San Antonio Spurs, a team that's supposed to compete and win the championship. And then, as you said, 24 games in, you shift into the starting lineup. Um, after that, you guys go 45 and 12. What does the team get with you in the starting lineup that they weren't getting with the combination of Steve Smith, Danny Ferry, well, uh, and those guys? Youth, youth. Uh, you had two, the, two of the dom- most dominant big men that would play the game with Tim Duncan and David Robinson, and you needed to add a little youth to it. We had a young point, point guard at Tony Parker. He was good first three quarters, but we needed Speedy Claxton for four quarters. Um, and I think as far as the youth and the playmaking that me and Ginobili both brought, um, that was something that was needed. You know, Bruce Bourne is not an offensive player at all. You know, Steve Smith was at the end of his career where he still could post up and get you buckets, but he wasn't as quick as he normally was. So with me playing so well off the bench, Pop knew I brought another dynamic to the team. I brought a little toughness. As Pop say, nasty. I brought a little nasty to the team, a little attitude to the team. And uh, the Spurs wasn't known for that. So for me to bring that, me and Malik Rose to bring a little toughness to the team. I think that was vital at that point. Looking around the league, you're playing primarily two and three guard. That's a crazy, crazy era in the league for that position. You know, Kobe, Pierce, Ray Allen. For you, at the beginning of the career, of your career, who were the guys that, you know, really, really introduced you to the league and gave you the welcome to the NBA moment? There's a lot. There's you know, yeah, Allen, yeah, 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 yeah. Mashburn, yeah, yeah. Sprewell. I would, I, I would have to say Mashburn. I have to say Mashburn. Mashburn was somebody that he was, he was bigger than me. I, was, I still had a teenage, twenty-one-year-old body at the time, and uh, I kind of patterned my game after Paul Pierce and Mashburn. I kind of played like them, especially in the post. But um, uh, Mashburn, Jamal Mashburn, was just so smooth. He about, about two hundred forty pounds. You couldn't you couldn't move him, and uh, he was just had a sweet shot, man. Is it, I'm surprised Jamal Marshburn not a Hall of Famer. He probably didn't play that long because he had a lot of injuries. Well, if you look at his career, like he retired coming off of like a 22 per game season. Yeah. He probably could have kept going, played that lower role on teams, but he said nah. And you know, people now you you look at him and he probably made a, a good business decision because. He's the, he's a crazy entrepreneur. Crazy entrepreneur, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, shout out to Mashburn. Yeah, he knew what he was uh, doing. Right, so, oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, and then real quickly, just like I mentioned it earlier, but the West, I, I think you can make the argument that five or six, the five or six best teams in the league were in the West. You got San Antonio, the Lakers. You got Dallas, still at Nash, you know, Van Exel. You meet them later. Sacramento, Blazers, you know, KG. Stockton and Malone were still in the league. What was it like just like every single night in the West, you guys got, you know, Hall of Famers to match up against? I think the attitude was, you know, not only every night, you know, you got to you got a battle. But I think for the most part, we knew if we can get out the West, we got a high chance of winning the championship. And I think every team in the West knew that. Our competition wasn't on the East. All our competition was right here in our conference. And if we can get out of our conference, we definitely can beat any team on the East because, like you said, Seven of the top 10 teams in the league were all in the Western Conference. So uh, no we were real confident with, you know, with the schedule we played every night. Like you said, playing against Hall of Famers every night, Kobe, Trace, McGrady, all these guys. And even uh, I think Brandon Roy was in the league at that time. Um, no, so, that was uh, 
that was like uh Brandon, Pippen and when Brandon Pippen, Roy got in the league. What year he got in the league? I want to say like oh six. Oh six. Okay, so that was maybe Pippen was with the Blazers then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, like so so all the teams in the in the Western Conference were really the teams that people had winning the championship. You really didn't have no teams on the East that was front runners to win the championship. So we had it. We had, you know, Pop always said, you know, we take care of business in the Western Conference. We'll be all right coming into the season. And and, mm-hmm. and we went on a crazy run toward the end of the season. You know, I think did we went yeah. how many games? Did we went 62 games? Uh, 60, 60, but 60, yeah. that, but yeah, that end of the season, you're right. I mean, you rip off like a, a six game win streak an 11 game win streak, yeah. a nine game win streak, all pretty much post all-star. So you're clicking at the, um, right, the right and time. clicking right time and clicking into the playoffs, the first round, you guys get the Suns. That was a, a good team. They weren't deep at all, but up top, I mean, they had Marbury, Amari, uh, they had Joe Johnson. Mm-hmm. Quickly before we get into that whole series, I know you mentioned Marbury was was a, a huge reason of of your introduction into the league. Um, I think that's just a guy, all the skill level in the world. Unfortunately, he never found that like right home. Mm-hmm. And he he gave you guys the business in that series and in the regular season game one. Of course, he hits that buzzer beater. Speak a little bit on just the greatness of Stephon Marbury and what a nightmare it was game planning and matching up against him. I mean, Steph, Steph is a Hall of Famer. He might not have a championship, but look at his numbers. You know, him numbers are crazy. You know what I'm saying? I think I think he has a certain stat, uh, averaging something uh, 25 and five or something like that for careers, or like certain guys or something like that is a stat that he has with Oscar Robinson. And we'll check that. Yeah, and um, I think with Steph, man, he don't get the 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 just do he deserved. You know, being and being from New York and playing in New York and dealing with all that, you know, a lot of people couldn't handle that. He was the king of New York for a while. And even Tony when he was Allen. even with yeah, even when he was in New Jersey, you know, he ran New York when he was in New Jersey. I seen that with my own eyes. And and the player he was, you should just go back to, you know, and I think my rookie year said a lot about stuff on Marbury. If you look at that that all-star game with him and AI in 2001. When they playing the West, the West was stacked. Nobody had the the East winning the uh, All Star game. Shaq, down Kobe, 20, Garnett, Duncan. Down twenty, they go small. East go small, and Stephen AI bring them back. It was one of the most exciting All Star games ever. But that but that game showed who Stephon Marbury is. You know, he he is just as important to the culture as AI, and he is just he's just as a staple of basketball to our culture like AI, you know what I mean? And, and people didn't give Steph the same respect because he was a little bit more outspoken. You know, he did things his way, you know, uh, my way or no way, and I get it. But when it comes down to basketball, Stephon Marbury is a Hall of Famer. He's my brother. He's somebody that helped me make some life-changing decisions. You know, I was about to get married without a prenup one time, and he made sure that didn't happen, you know? so. Um, shout out to shout out to Steph. Yeah, shout out to Steph. Steph is my real brother. Uh, his family is my real family, but Steph should definitely be a Hall of Famer. So, as a as a prize for getting past the first round, you get the Lakers fresh off a three peat. They still got Shaq and Kobe. I mean, what's the game plan? Like, what is Pop's messaging when you're going up in a series against two of the best players? Ever? It, it wasn't really no game plan. Uh, compete because <laughs> because you can't really double Shaq. You know, we we had we had four or five guys to guard Shaq, you know, and Kevin Willis was supposed to right. come, came in the game to only use the six fouls. And Kevin Willis played his butt off 
against Shaq in that series. I didn't have a good series because one, um, I think Pop messed with my head with my minutes. And two, um, I didn't get the ball too much because I think my main focus was they wanted me to just play defense on Kobe. And if, I don't know why, because it was like I wasn't even there. Kobe was working the shit out of me that series. And, yeah. and it, it was really nothing I can do that series. I had a bad series uh, for a couple reasons. But for the most part, Geno played well. Our bench played tremendous. Malik played well. Bruce played well. Like I said, Kevin Willis came in and gave us great minutes. And uh, I think Tony Parker had a great series that series finally. So, um, uh, but the Lakers, bro, that was a different type of monster because we knew they were coming off a three-peat. And we knew that, you know, we can beat them. It's a great chance of us being champions because this is the team that's been in San Antonio's way the last four or five years, you know, if we get into the championship. Last, so. Yeah, last last two years they knocked out the Spurs. Yep. Uh, I, w- I want to quickly talk about game five, if you remember. You might have erased it from your memory, but you're up one. It's game five, series tied 2-2, so whoever wins that game five most likely is going to win the series. Um, you get fouled up one going to the line. You split the free throws, 15 seconds left. Being up two is a lot different than being up with three because you're up by three. All right, maybe they hit a game-winning three or they yeah. hit a game-tying three, goes into overtime. But now you're down two. They call a timeout. They got the ball. And they have Kobe and Robert Ory, two of the, the maybe clutchest players ever. Yeah. What's going through your mind as you're walking through that bench? Are you just avoiding eye contact to pop sitting down? Uh, I probably was more upset with myself uh, because, you know, first round, I stepped to the line and knocked my free throws down in Phoenix. I played great in Phoenix. And uh, to come that second round and I play well, especially that game, missing free throws, you know, that was kind of a downer for me because I'm I'm an 80% career free throw shooter. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I I was upset with letting my team down, but um, I didn't I didn't I didn't wallow in it. That's one thing about Steve and Tim. I make a mistake, you know, let's go to the next play. Don't worry about that. And they were they was big on that. So um, I was down, but I knew I you know I knew I, I had to continue to play the game. Mm. So you guys take care of business in six there. Uh, you got Dallas next. Probably the other than Lake, it's probably the the and you guys the best team in the league. I mean, they had Nash, they had Dirk, um, Van Exel, loaded squad. Real quick, I, w- I want to shift to Pop. I-, I heard you talk about just the level of preparation that can you just quickly describe like the difference between Pop's preparation and maybe some of the other coaches that you played for in your career? What sets him apart there just on like a preparation level? I think what's different with them is their scouting, their scout sheets. I've been on a lot of teams where they kind of go over the, the other team's best players and kind of get a little bit of what they like to do. Every game, you get full-on pamphlets of every player, what they do, the percentages, they go left or right, and that helped us prepare for the team we were playing. I don't think any team was as – as, as focused on that being a big part of preparation like the Spurs do. You have, they're going to give you all the keys to prepare and be ready to play. Are you going to take them? Are you going to do your study? Now, do you, are you going to read? And um, it forces you to be a professional. It forces you to take your craft and your game serious. But to have that, it's like a cheat sheet. You know, they, they do a great job of giving you a cheat sheet on how to guard your person. Now, now you can't just read that and go out there and stop a guy. You actually have to go physically do it. But knowing which way a guy likes to drive, knowing what, what his tendencies and stuff like that, the Spurs are the are the best at preparing you 
to knowing your the, the, your opponent's tendencies and being ready for anything they can bring to you. And then what what's it like like after that? Once you experience it, and then you're at, at another stop in your career, and you don't have that. You compare everything to San Antonio. You compare everything to it. Well, they don't do this in San Antonio. Well, this is what they do in San Antonio. Like and 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 I and I played. You know, I played for Mike Brown. Uh, outside of San Antonio and in, in, uh, Indiana, and a lot of his defensive stuff that he taught in San Antonio, he taught on the on the other teams he's he's coached. So um, it's solid, man. And 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 with, with with Pop, I think that if you are not buying in, if you're not paying attention to detail, if you're not studying and preparing to guard your person, he's going to know, and it's going to affect your play for sure. So Dallas series, real quick, uh, Dirk gets injured in Game Three, which is good for you guys, but. I mean, it would have been cool to see that, that with both teams at full strength. Um, finals, like you said earlier, I think if you can get back past all the best, then the finals will be easier. But that series is uh, is closer than people realize. Um, was there something extra you against New Jersey, that team that sort of just like let you go, didn't 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 appreciate you? I definitely had that chip on my shoulder. You know, Byron, Byron released me. You know, now I look at it. I'm on the starting, but when I'm on, I'm gonna start on the best team in the league. So, definitely in my mind, you know, I'm thinking, get back. That's all I'm thinking, get back. And I had no idea how I was gonna play. I just wanted to be solid and um, and win a championship. I knew it was, I never had an opportunity. You know, a lot of people don't get that opportunity, but I just wanted to be a star in my role. And I knew I was gonna get an opportunity to make a big shot. Steve Kirk kept telling me, stay in the game. You know. Because uh, a lot of times my offense gets my defense going, and Pop wanted to be the, wanted it to be the other way around. You know, I didn't feel like I was just a guy that could stand in the corner and shoot threes. I could do a lot. You know, I could make my own plays, but they 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 kind of held that back from me and made me a spot up shooter. So I just had to figure out, you know, when to take my shots and um, you know, and when to be aggressive. And uh, I kind of found a way to do that. Well, you stayed ready. Game six, you hit three big threes, and you guys win. Um, what are the emotions going through your mind just thinking about where you were, you know, just a few years prior to that? Yeah, it was, it was an unreal feeling. I had my mom, my aunt, you know, up there screaming, you know, and the, the whole journey I've been through, you know, just to say I'm an NBA champion. You know, I'm, I'm a champion on every level I played on. And, you know, that's, that says a lot. A lot of people never won a championship on any level. I won a championship on every level, high school, overseas, NBA, big three. And, and and at that time, just to be an NBA champion from my hometown, everything I've been through, it was just, it was just it was like it was like I exhaled and I knew I'll, you know, I'll, okay, I'm, I'm in the NBA, I belong here. And, and, you know, just to, you know, like I said, to say I was NBA champion, to say I would help, help David Robson get a ring his last year before retirement, to, you know, make those big shots in the playoffs and be a part of that run with the Spurs. Uh, it meant a lot, man, and, and a lot of people say that was the that was the first real championship. They didn't really count '99, so they said 2003. Was lockout probably, season. 2003 was probably the best championship because they had Tim and Dave, and um, mm. and it was a whole season. So I'm, I'm, it's a blessing to be a part of that. And like I said, ending an NBA career without a championship, you know, it it it, 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 it was suck to me, and I'm, I was thankful to be able to get that early in my career, in my third year. Early. I mean, do, do any of the moves that you make in free agency or whatever after that, um, if you don't win that championship early, I never, do you make different moves, you think? Nah, um, nah, I don't because, you know, I, like I said, I played well and I was a free agent that year. And if I wasn't going to get paid that year, I was going to get paid eventually. And they decided to pay Ginobili instead of me. So 
Um, I knew I still had to prove myself, but I knew I had other options, you know, and that was my main focus. Mm. Well, it, it was an incredible year. I think, you know, outside of it being a great team, it was just like an amazing story on your end coming from where you did uh, those few years. Um, any just like last words, reflection, uh, things that stick with you today when you look back at that, that time of your life? Yeah, man, I'm just, 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 that, you know, everything's about opportunity, you know, take advantage of opportunity, you know, pop didn't have to give me that opportunity. You know, uh, when I went back and made it to the Western Conference Finals again, I think it was what, 12, 14, something like that. 13. 13 yeah. with the Spurs. You know, it, it, it was good to be back, but the feeling wasn't the same because Pop didn't trust me like he did the first time. And it ended on a sour note where he released me right for the playoffs where I couldn't sign with another team. And most players will hold the grudge because that was the end of my career. I ain't playing no more after that. Really, I really never mm. really played no more after that. When coaches do that, it makes it look like you're done. So Pop put me in that position, but I will forever be thankful for the position, for the opportunity he gave me in 2003 to be on that championship team and to, uh, and to give me a job for two years, you know, because if I wouldn't have been on that team, I would have ended my career without a championship. And uh, if you play the game as, to win, if you play the game to be the best, then you want to have at least one ring before you retire. And I, I, I'm forever in debt to Pop for that. Well, they can call you a lot of things, but they got to make sure you're champion in there because you right. are. <laughs> Kevin Jack, uh, we appreciate your time and thank you for joining us. No, my pleasure. Anytime, man. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of what you got going on, too. And once again, welcome to the family. This has been Forgotten Seasons with Stephen Jackson on the 2003 Spurs. I'm your host, Dylan Dreyfus. I hope you guys enjoyed. Much love to Stack for hopping on and sharing his story. Remember to drop a rating and a review if you liked what you just heard. We'll be back next Monday. Until then, you can check out Showtime Basketball for more. We got Chandler Parsons on all the smoke dropping this week, which I'm really excited for. Also got KG Certified, What's Burning, and more. Be sure to check it all out. We will be back next week. Thanks for listening, and see you then. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.